Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Good morning, Renew San Diego. It's good to be with you all. Uh, those of you tuning in online, those of you here in person, always a gift to be in the same room together in this season. In uh, the last time I was here, I believe it was about a year ago, and we were outside in the garden, which was equally wonderful. Uh, again, my name is John Huckins, and I'm, I live just a few neighborhoods over in Sherman Heights. This is my daughter, Ruby, he's, who's with us this morning, and uh, I have three other kiddos and wife um, who are not here this morning, but with us in spirit. So um, Ruby was strategic in, in realizing she could get a little space from her younger three siblings and figured this might be a little more calming space for that. Um, the Nault family is uh, our dear friends, and Matt is one of my closest buddies, and uh, I'm deeply grateful to be part of this community through them and others that I've known here. I'm also profoundly grateful for the ways that our ministry, Global Immersion, has been in partnership with Renew uh, now for many years. Uh, it's been one that's it, it's been a mutually beneficial um, relationship, understanding that God's kingdom transcends all borders and boundaries. We are for the neighborhood, and our neighborhood happens to have a, a border uh, between it, between Tijuana and San Diego. And so much of, of my work binationally has been able to uh, link up with your presence here in the neighborhood and your support of mission in this region has uh, done incredible, had in, in, incredible contribution uh, to the ways we've especially been able to accompany and walk with many of the churches in Tijuana who are caring for some of the world's most vulnerable uh, in, in these moments and others throughout the last four years. So... This morning, uh, I'm going to open us with our scripture, which is going to be in Matthew 18, if you're uh, one who has your Bible with you. Otherwise, the text is in your worship folder. So if you'll open with me, Matthew 18, verses 2 through 4. He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like the child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. I'm currently uh, in a study, I'm working on a, a PhD in theology. And uh, it has me in the books often, as one would imagine. They don't give away those degrees, come to find out. Uh, And uh, as a result, it has my head not only scanning through books, but scanning through church history, uh, through uh, not only church history, but theological doctrine and dogma. Where do we stand on X, Y, and Z and all these different denominations that have come about and the ways that impacted the evangelical church in the United States and mainline denominations, on and on and on and on and on. My focus is actually uh, an exploration and seeing ways that the church, capital C Church, can better engage in politics without just falling victim to the the binaries we have often uh, hijacking our discourse, the polarization. In all of that, uh, I can find myself spending a lot of time in my head. And this morning's passage 
for me, is a really helpful orientation. Reorientation, if you will, with what matters most in how Jesus sees me and how Jesus sees us, ultimately, as participants in God's kingdom. A kingdom that's often described as one that's marked by those that will be last rather than will be first. That flips the, the economy of the powerful and the weak, of the adult and the child, of the knowledgeable and the wonder-filled. This passage invited me to consider how am I processing all of this information that is meant, actually, the reason I'm studying theology at this level is for the sake of my contribution in God's mission. But if it gets all stuck in my head and doesn't inform my heart and my feet and my fingers, something is amiss. This last summer, I had the opportunity to hike uh, a a portion of the Camino de Santiago, which is a a historic Christian pilgrimage. You have the pilgrimage to Rome. You have a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The third Christian pilgrimage is to this place called Santiago, which is a town in Spain. It's thought that St. James, after Jesus died and resurrected, went to Spain to share the good news of the kingdom of God. He He died and was buried there. And now, for 2,000 years, Christian pilgrims have gone on this journey towards Santiago, not necessarily just to commemorate St. James and his death, but to go on a journey trusting that God will meet us in the silence, in the silent, slow pursuit of wholeness, of transformation. Oftentimes, uh, I would spend six to eight hours on the trail, no phones, no people I knew, just a backpack, and some hiking shoes, and some silence. Listening to what God might be speaking to to me, in and through me, as I journey towards Santiago. What was interesting is uh, my my spiritual director, someone who walks with me in my relationship with God and connecting it to my soul, said, hey, when you go on this Camino, don't bring a single book. The last thing you need is more information going into your head. Get rid of all the books— and just tend to what God might be saying to you so you can process through those learnings and have it inform your life. As I spent hour after hour in silence, occasionally meeting fellow pilgrims along the way, which is a great gift because everyone on the Camino is on some kind of journey. No one cares about your job. No one cares about your, your wealth or your reputation. They just understand here's a fellow, a fellow journeyer, pilgrim, moving towards wholeness, moving towards God. And what I discovered on these steps is that God is constantly seeking to make God's self real to me beyond just what I read in books, what I study in dogma and doctrine, even in scriptures that I've begun to recite without actually wrestling and reflecting with their implications. I understood that God was moving in and around me, and I had to have eyes to wake up and to see it. As Christians, especially as Christian leaders, we've spent much of our lives trying to acquire knowledge of our faith. How many times have you heard that? You become a Christian and say, okay, it's time to acquire knowledge of our faith. It's the doctrines and the creeds and the history and the scripture, and it's good. There's a reason it exists. The church has been seeking to follow Jesus for 2,000 years. And so this is some of the stuff that's come to the surface and said, this matters to us. 
This helps ground us in our identity as followers of Jesus in light of all the other identities that are pulling for us every single day. But when we begin to understand our knowledge of our faith only as the acquisition of ideas and words and doctrine, we can miss out on the holy wonder, I think, that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 18. It's good and it serves a purpose, the knowledge of our faith. But I'm more and more convinced that our orientation can't just be to what God has revealed behind us, but to what God is reeling, revealing to us right now and to what's in front of us. Following Jesus isn't just about getting smarter about our past. It's about being fully present to God's movement now and tomorrow. What if we spent as much energy and intentionality with a sense of expectant wonder at the ways God is still speaking to us today? What if we lived our lives not seeking to defend something of the past with tight fists, to defend all the things that I've known, but with open hands, trusting that God is continually revealing God's self to us each and every moment of every day. Even in that posture shift, observe, when our hands are in fists to defend something in the past, it's really a posture of fighting. Rather than an open hand saying, God, we trust that you are beyond any of my knowledge. You are a mystery beyond comprehension, but one that we are willing to give our lives to. In our questions, in our wonders, even in our doubts. There's a couple of theological thoughts I want to have, I want to make out of this that I think could be relevant to us. Now, in this passage, it's no wonder that Jesus described kids as the first to have eyes for the kingdom. Their wonder, their, their lacking of, of left brain knowledge, of data, their wonder is actually their reality. That is what's fully real to them, is what is right in front of them. It's what they know, and it's contagious. In fact, Jesus... Now, right before these passages we just read, Jesus' disciples, who are giving their lives to follow this guy, which is a pretty provocative claim that he's making to be the Messiah, the one that they've, the people of God have been waiting for in this first century context, Jesus says, I'm that guy. Whether explicitly or, or, or not, they're trusting that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who's going to deliver them not only from the occupation of the systems and structures but ultimately towards the kingdom of God, towards a kingdom that is, goes beyond time. And they ask, so what's it take to be first in line in that kingdom? What's it take to be the very best at following you, Jesus? And Jesus, as often does, doesn't respond with a direct answer. Jesus responds, and I'll go back to our text. And he called a little child over to sit among the disciples. We're trying to figure out how to be biggest and best in the kingdom. And he said to them, I assure, the, I assure you that if you don't turn your lives around and become like this little child, you will definitely not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who humble themselves like this little child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Yet again, Jesus upsets the status quo, upsets the order of how this kingdom is to be aligned versus the kingdoms of this world. 
and even over and against the way we become knowledgeable in our faith. He says it's not about just becoming more religious. It's not about acquiring all the data. Pursue wonder. Look at these kids. They are present to this moment, and they are expecting that God is going to show up. That's what it looks like. To, I would argue, uh, when, in the beginning of Mark, we, we hear Jesus say, Wake up! The kingdom of God is here! The reality you've been waiting for is here. One interpretation of that, translation of that, is just to simply wake up, open our eyes. The kids have the ability to wake up because they expect God to show up in ways that don't just fit our categories, but can wow us, fill us with wonder. How are we waking up to the reality of God in our midst? rather than just waiting for it to fall into our categories where we expect it to show up. My son Hank, uh, like I said, I have four kids, and Hank is twins uh, with his sister Lou. They're six years old. And anything Ruby would affirm, uh, Hank is always in the back of the line when our family is on any kind of journey together. Uh, the dude is just slow, but not just slow physically or, um, or articulating in a mentally way. <laughs> he is just slow because he is totally dialed in to what is right around him. If there is an ant crossing the sidewalk, he will stop the whole family as we're running late to church or to whatever else to look at that ant cross the sidewalk. The rest of us will scream, Hank, Hank, come on! 50 yards back, 70 yards back. Dude, let's go. We were recently uh, on the beach. We were, on a, we were trying to go on like a long family walk, a couple miles. The kids are good walkers. Hank is not going to miss what's right in front of him, though. So as we walk, the three girls and my wife and I are moving in a, in a, in a you know, somewhat tight circle. Where's Hank? You can barely see his little blonde head popping up 50 yards back. And his shirt is flipped up, and it's filled with shells. The dude isn't going to miss out on an opportunity to just be present to that moment, and to be filled with wonder at all the goodness of God's creation around him. Whether he says God's creation or not, that's what it is. He's, he's, he's tasting and seeing and feeling the goodness of God in 3D, when oftentimes I and we can walk around with these blinders on and miss out on the, the, the beauty right in front of us. Brendan Manning says, the spirituality of wonder knows the world is charged with grace. That while sin and war, disease and death are terribly real, God's loving presence and power in our midst are even more real. Second thing I want to point out. One is how are we, like Hank, Living a life of expectant wonder. Understanding that is what it looks like to enter the kingdom of God. Not just acquiring more knowledge. The other thing I want to point out is this early community of Jesus did not have a Bible like we have today, which is interesting, right? Here's a group of people who are staking their lives on following Jesus, trusting that that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's story. But they don't have... At the time, they had the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. They don't have these stories that we read about 
in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the extension of that into Acts and the letters, they are quite literally living those stories in real time. They weren't defaulting back to the stories that we read about in the Gospels. They were having to trust that God was writing them those stories in their midst. They had to live present to what God was doing by simply being present to every single moment of every single day. Listening to the Spirit of God say, this is real and this is not. This is truth and this is not. This is good and this is not. Their portals to experiencing God were being present to the ways the Spirit was revealing God to them every day in every experience. So for them, it wasn't about not having an anchoring text to center their story, but trusting that God has the capacity to interact with humanity above and beyond anything that's been written. When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, we trust that God can reveal God's self to us beyond doctrine and dogma or written word. This requires wonder. It requires us to be like children. It requires us to embrace a posture of open hands rather than tight fists. Some of the things that help us, that, that make us struggle to believe that God is still speaking to us, that, that the Spirit is moving, that God is good despite what we see around us, is the reality of pain, the reality of tragedy. Whether it's something in your life with sickness, someone connected to even to what's going on in the last 18 months with COVID, it could be marriages that have been fractured, children that have felt disconnected from you. For me in my work, um, I've been confronted with some of the most pain I, uh, that I didn't even know was imaginable or, or real in our world. I'll never forget being with my friend Minar. Uh, she leads a nonprofit in the West Bank. She's Palestinian, Christian, follows Jesus with her life, her and her husband Milad. They teach the next generation of Palestinian kids that reconciliation is possible. Some of the most profound work I've ever seen. And uh, in 2014, right after another war in that region, we were able to gather together in Jordan with a bunch of peacemakers who were living in these conflict zones and spend a few days to encourage each other, support each other. And I remember asking her and Milad, what do you do? in the midst of so much pain, so much violence. They were just talking about some of their family being killed in the past war. And she looked at us and she said, when we have no hope, we make it. And she went on to describe that in the midst of that war, her family made it a practice at dinner time, after dinner, to get in the kitchen, turn up the music, and dance together. Their kids, their husband, in the face of war, they trusted that another world is possible. They trusted that the beauty of that moment is actually the goodness of God. They chose to live beyond the reality of pain and destruction, although they were part of it, to live lives of wonder, trusting that God is still good and still with them. The children right here on our border spent many evenings, meals, with over recent years, many of them have never known a day of peace. One family I met whose 
mom had taken her three kids to flee violence, cartel violence in Central America, sat with us and her three kiddos. Their husband and father had been killed. And after three months of running, they ended up at this shelter. We were with them in Tijuana. And as she experienced the pain of this story, she told us, her kids, although experiencing the pain too, were filled with joy. Playing in the back room, talking about what brought them hope. And it, it made me uh, wonder, what does it look like today to live Matthew 18? To identify those kids who can be our guides, our instructors in this irrational proposition of living with an expectant wonder that God is still speaking. God is good, despite so much of the pain we might find ourselves in. So I'll finish with just asking a couple questions. How might this trust, this holy trust, this expectant wonder we see embodied in the lives of our kids and the kids throughout history, how might this inform the way you and I encounter the vicious news cycle of today? How might this expectant wonder inform the way you and I interact with our loved ones? Especially in moments where I'm sure many of you, like all of us, we don't always agree with our loved ones, right? What happens when we don't agree with our loved ones? Sometimes we get pretty fisty. We're looking to punch rather than to say, where is it that God is still moving among us, despite our differences? How might this expectant wonder inform the way we talk to family and friends about our life and our faith? When we talk about God, we aren't just regurgitating data from a thousand years ago or data from what you heard from me today. You are inviting them into a faith of open hands, trusting that God through the Spirit is moving in that moment with and among you. Collectively, let's put up our hands. Right this. Let's fists. Let's make fists. You're at home. You're in the room. As we embrace this gift of God's expectant wonder, let's open our hands to receive that. Today. Tomorrow. In the places that are most unexpected. God, we trust your spirit to move in and through us. To encounter us in ways that are uncommon. May we breathe in the goodness of God who is constantly moving toward us if we have the eyes and the ears and the mind to receive. We offer this prayer. This is actually a prayer of wonder from Brennan Manning. Dear Lord, grant me the grace of wonder. Surprise me. Amaze me. Awe me in every crevice of your universe. Each day enrapture me with your marvelous things without number. I do not ask to see the reason for it all. I ask only to share the wonder in it all. Amen. Thank you.